two to tango. So it's good for you to know what's going on and just (laughs) be aware of. I really haven't had them badly. I've always been irregular. A lot of people aren't aware of how contagious it is. I was just really emotional. And I remember calling my mom just crying in the car because I was like, I feel like I'm crazy. What is happening to my brain? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. It's your host, Assam. And Tori. Here with another episode of Before We Make It. Woo! Thank you so much, Tori, for being here. Of course. I'm happy to be here. So excited, guys. We're going to talk all things women's health, birth control. So like she said, my name is Tori. Dasam and Emma are two of my best friends. So I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I graduated from Texas A&M in 2019 and worked in women's health for about a year after that. And I'm about to start a PhD program where I'll be working with nutrition and cancer biology and women's health. So I'm really excited to dive into some of the myths of birth control and women's health, and hopefully give you all some good facts with some solid references. Love it. And Emma can't join us today because she's feeling under the weather, but she'll be back soon. We'll start off with our Truly Obsessed segment. This is where we discuss anything and everything we've been loving lately. So Tori, take it away. So I'll start with a song that I've really gotten into lately. Ooh. Yeah. So <laughs> I watch TikTok more than I should. I think we all Gotta do at this TikTok. point. <laughs> and there is a girl on there, Jax. I'm sure you've seen her on your For You page. She does cute little songs, mm. whatever. But she released a song on Spotify called 90s Kids. Ooh. And it's kind of like just a summer feel-good bop. And I've been listening to it way too much. I'm probably going to be sick of it in like two months. But that's my song of like the week, apparently. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I found this song by Mia Giovanni, I believe. I will actually link it down below. Her song, Sirens, is so good. She has this beautiful, angelic voice. And she's talking about like New York City and like the subway. And for some reason, I've really been into just deep, almost sad (laughs) melodies lately. So I've been really into that. And also, guys, there's this local coffee shop here called Sweet Eugene's. And they have this really, really good like lavender white mocha coffee drink. And if y'all know from previous episodes, like I haven't been into drinking coffee that much, but there has been some study nights that have been rough recently and that coffee drink has fueled me. So anything with lavender syrup in it, I realize is such an amazing thing for me. So, good. so gotta love that. Any food favorites you've been loving? So I feel like I've been in a rut with cooking lately, but... Tori and her boyfriend, Preston, literally the best chefs ever. They always invite us over for like pizza, grilled cheese, avocado, like amazing smoke queso, like all the stuff. So oh my gosh, you're so nice. Gotta shout him out. I found a recipe I'm trying on Sunday because that's like our junk food day. And it's going to be like a sweet and spicy kind of chicken and waffles sliders. And so if they're good, we'll make some for you. I don't know. It's very like test run. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I can't wait to be your guinea pig for that. (laughs) But we're just going to get right into today's episode. (laughs) So I actually got my first pap smear recently, guys. Again, women's health, a lot of myths to debunk here. But Tori, let's just talk about periods in general and how have your experiences been with them? We're currently both like synced up on ours. So that's great. Uh, First of all, I will say if there are guys listening, I do suggest actually listening to this because even though it kind of falls on women to be in charge of 
birth control and all of that, it takes two to tango. So it's good for you to know what's going on and just (laughs) be aware of options and kind of what your girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever is going through whether now or in the future. No, I love it. I totally agree. It's good to educate yourself. And this is going to be a very informative, but also just honest episode. I mean, for periods, I really haven't had them badly. I've also always been irregular, but I've had friends that have gone through very traumatic, like cramps, you know, very heavy, like bleeding, pain, etc. It's a lot to deal with. So, I mean, men, if you're listening, like this is a reason why you are alive and born into this world. <laughs> no, so <lie>. you're welcome. <laughs> so, I actually started birth control when I was 17 because my periods were so bad. I would literally wake my mom up in the middle of the night crying because I couldn't move. I'd have to call her because I couldn't get out of bed. I was in so much pain. We finally were like, we were like, we're got to get on birth control or something. And so it's helped a lot with that. But there's definitely a lot of like those downsides that pretty much just with any birth control option uh, or a lot of them, which is, you know, your weight gain, your uh, moodiness and all of those changes that come with it. Yeah, I've been on it for a while now and I did recently switch and that's been that's been a nightmare. But <laughs> Yeah, before we get into that, I personally haven't had experience with birth control. So I'm going to play like the newbie here and be asking you a lot of great questions mm-hmm. as someone who hasn't had that experience, but is looking to potentially try it out in the future. Most women, when they first got on birth control, which ones are the notorious ones that people are probably familiar with? So there's four main types of birth control. You have your hormonal, which is probably what people who are our age in their 20s tend to use the most. You can either do a pill, which is pretty regular for, like I said, people in their 20s. Um, You can do an IUD, which just goes inside your uterus, or you can do an arm implant, which is also a small surgery. And those are your hormonal types. And then you have your barrier, which is condoms. There's male and female And then you have behavioral, which is abstinence or withdrawal. And then you have your permanent, which is sterilization, which I actually got surprised by a fact on this. That's the most common is female sterilization for people in like their 30s and 40s, which kind of surprised me. Wow. So that's like a permanent form of birth control. Yes, that is. Um, Sometimes there are some, you know, happy mistakes that happen. I I know a few people who are in that group and um, because it can (laughs) fail or, you know, the woman's fallopian tubes can grow back together, but it's pretty rare. What's the percentage on that? 0.5. So not very often. And that's for female. For men, it's even lower than that. It's yeah, 0.15. And it's kind of similar. They have some tubes that carry the sperm and then you would not tie those, but you would cut those. That's so interesting. Do you happen to know, like for insurance, which ones are mostly covered? So hormonal birth control is often covered. Just from my own experience, I'm not sure 100% what, because there's so many different types of insurance plans, it's hard to know all of them. But normally, like the pill is covered. Um, And then when you get into surgery, since they're elective, I'm not sure on that. Okay, that's so interesting. I've heard some horror stories about the IUD, you know, getting lost and stuff like that. Is this more of a myth or is this something that people should genuinely be aware of? Or is it like a misuse case where it's human error involved that causes the the moving of the IUD, if you know what I mean? So whenever I worked in women's health, we worked with a lot of sonographers. So I have heard some horror stories about IUDs either growing into the lining of the uterus or coming out during like some sexual activity or even the husband been just being like, that's a string. I should pull that. Um, so oh, please don't. There are some horror stories, but they are really effective. They have a really low failure rate. And especially even compared to the pill, which is about two to 
8%, depending on if you're taking it at the same time every day. But an IUD has about a 0.1 to 0.8, depending on which type you have, whether it's hormonal or copper. Wow. And that's like the 0.14% like failure rate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's crazy. So what have you experienced as far as using birth control yourself and like kind of the pitfalls and pros of those? So I've had some rough experiences with it. Like I said, I recently changed because my insurance changed. So I had to change the type I was on, which was kind of unfortunate. Mm. I went through a whole like mood swing. I called my mom and I was like, I think I'm going crazy. Oh no! <laughs> and I'll tell you a story about that later. But I seriously, poor Preston, that was just like right when we started dating. And I felt like he was just ready to be like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Stop. <laughs> Preston is an absolute angel. And if you're listening, like we love you as Tori's best friends, like definitely stamp of approval there. <laughs> love that. <laughs> but besides the pill, have you used any other forms of contraception? I have not. I actually got my my um, pap smear recently, a couple months ago, and we talked about some other options, but I really don't want to do any surgery. So I don't want an IUD or an um, arm implant. So kind of my option is that I think will be best for me regardless is the pill. You can do injections as well, which is every three months. And that's a good option for people who are not great at taking their pill every day or don't want surgery as well. But it does cause a lot more weight gain than other hormonal options. Interesting. And I remember you mentioned, I think in high school, like you use birth control more as a form of like removing your acne. So for people that don't know that there are other uses to birth control besides, you know, just being a contraceptive, um, what would you tell them? That was something I've run into a lot is a lot of people just assume that that is the only reason for birth control, but it is great for, like you said, acne, period cramps, even just like whenever you're going through puberty, it kind of helps with your mood swings and stuff like that. My mom was happy when we got on it, wow. <laughs> but there are plenty of other uses for birth control outside of controlling birth. <laughs> That's awesome. So was it effective for you? Like what kind of birth control do you use for your acne? So uh, hormonal birth control did not completely get rid of my acne. I was on Accutane and that really um, helped that for the most part. But afterwards with it kind of staying away and whenever me having less severe breakouts and all of that, I do think birth control played a part in that. I'm not sure which one I would say is the best for that. I would say talk to either a dermatologist or your OBGYN about what their thoughts are on it, but they're probably going to say something like still the pill and just look at different options within it. They have different side effects for whether it's a progestin only or a combined birth control pill, which is the estrogen and progestin. What is progestin? Progestin is another hormone in the female body that controls the mucus on your cervix and will prevent the sperm from being able to travel further into the cervix and impregnate you or the egg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, let's go into like a briefing of each of the different types of birth control. Tori has an amazing slideshow here. So we're just going to go into it. Personally, I do have a lot of questions and the variability of these options are so interesting to me. So let's get educated. So like I said, there's those four main categories of hormonal, barrier, and behavioral, and permanent. Um, we kind of touched on hormonal with the birth control, the IUD, and the implant. So the implant is stays in your arm for three years. It is reversible. If you're having side effects that you just really don't like, you can get it removed. Um, it has a failure rate of 0.1%. So it's very effective at what it does. And it will release progestin. And it is not a combination one. 
IUDs, there's two types. There's a hormonal type and a copper type. Um, and so the hormonal type will release progestin again, um, and it will stay in your uterus for three to six years, depending on kind of like the brand, kind of like with birth control, they vary. Um, and it has a typical use failure rate of 0.1 to 0.4. And that typical use failure rate just means for people who are human and not perfect at doing everything, you know, exactly right. (laughs) You mean like the insertion procedure or more so like having just like your day-to-day lifestyle practices affect like the location of the IUD? I believe it would be varying by brand, but you might want to ask your doctor on that. And then the copper IUD, it is not hormonal. It actually just causes kind of an inflammatory response in your uterus and it can stay in for up to 10 years and it has a typical use failure rate of 0.8%. So what are like the main differences of the copper IUD and the regular one? Like why would someone choose one or the other? I would assume it's because if you've had a bad experience with hormonal birth control or you really don't want to be on hormonal birth control, you would um, opt for the copper one. But it also depends on if you want to go back in and get your hormonal IUD changed every three to six years, or if you just want it in for 10 years and don't want to think about it anymore. Those are kind of the bigger differences. That makes sense. And then there's a couple other hormonal options. Like I said, you have the injections, which is progestin shot every three months. You can only be on it for a certain amount of time because it can cause osteoporosis and just some bone issues. What is osteoporosis? It's just when your bones, it affects the density of your bones and can cause like fractures more easily and issues later on in life. The injections have about a 4% failure rate. There's a higher risk of weight gain with those as well. I think the average my OB told me was about 15 pounds. So definitely more than your five pounds on the hormonal pill. And then the pill, like I said, it can cause weight gain as well. Most of the people I know who have taken the pill have had some level of weight gain on it. Um, And you can do a combination of progestin and estrogen or just progesterone. And then there's a 7% failure rate with that. And it's more effective if you take it at the same time every day. And it's less effective if you don't. Question. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you could do to like expedite the potential that you may be part of this 7% failure rate? Or is it simply random? I've known people or I've seen people that will literally carry their birth control pill with them if they know they're not going to be home to take it because they will take it every day at 10. And that's your best um, way of making it the most effective it can be. And then I think that effective rate is 2%. Okay, so it's basically just like every single day taking it at the same time? Uh, Yes, you want to take it at the same time every day because that'll make it more effective. And then you also have the patch and the ring methods. They're pretty similar, just one... The patch is worn on your body, on your skin, and it absorbs into the bloodstream. It has a 7% failure rate. And then the ring, it is inserted into your vagina and it will release hormones there. And it also has a 7% failure rate. But they're pretty similar because you keep them on or in for three weeks and then remove um, to have your period. The last form of hormonal contraceptives is plan B, but that's obviously not something you use in case of emergencies and it shouldn't be used as regular birth control. So plan B can be a bit tricky because we don't get told a lot of this whenever we're growing up in like our classes in school and all of that, um, our health classes, but you can take it up to five days after, but the sooner you take it, the more effective it is. And it's not effective if you've already started ovulating. So that's very important because if you've already started ovulating, it's not going to work because it basically 
basically postpones your ovulation. So it's not an abortion pill. If you are pregnant, it will not terminate a pregnancy, but it basically just pushes back your ovulation so the sperm cannot meet with the egg. Interesting. And so you've talked all about these like failure rates on these types of birth control. How is that comparative to like condoms? So condoms would be considered a barrier method and male condoms, which is definitely more commonly used than female condoms. They have about a 13% failure rate and you can't use oil-based lube with them though because it will deteriorate the structure of the condom pretty much. Female condoms have a higher percentage. They have 21% failure rate. So you're better off with the male condoms. (laughs) Wait, what are female condoms? They're kind of weird. They like go up inside you. It's kind of weird to look at. I would pull up a diagram because I'm not going to be able to explain it well, but they kind of like fit up inside of you and kind of same thing. They're barrier methods. So they just block the sperm from even getting to the cervix. Super interesting. And then what are the other barrier methods? There's sponge and diaphragm. So a sponge, you basically just coat in spermicide and use it to cover your cervix so sperm cannot reach it. But you do have to be aware that if you've had a baby, it is a higher percent failure rate because your cervix changes during vaginal childbirth. So this isn't if you've been pregnant and lost a baby, anything like that. You've had to give vaginal childbirth, but that will change the failure rate. Interesting. Dang, I've literally learned so much like (laughs) already. So what are the side effects that most women experience? Because that is a huge fear, I think, of mine and a lot of people I know, just like the weight gain, the acne or hormonal changes. Because sometimes like people say you can't counteract those effects unless you just stop taking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are definitely side effects to it. So you do have to weigh your odds of what um, is most important to you. But you can, like you said, weight gain, acne, hormonal changes, but those do tend to fluctuate out. Like you just have to get used to the hormone you're taking kind of, and then it'll chill out a little bit. How long does that take normally, that adjustment period? It can take up to a year is what I've heard because I've been doing research for myself of do I want to change it or do I want to stick with what I'm on? And I've kind of heard that you need to stick with it for about a year to see how it's going to mess with your emotions or weight gain and all of that and give your body some time to get used to it. Dang. And why is it so variable per person? Because I mean, they always say like, yes, this is the average kind of like weight gain, like five, 10 pounds, whatever this is. These are the average side effects. But then I've also heard like it's so different per person. And that's like a little bit ambiguous to me. It's almost where the fear comes from. Like, how am I going to react to this opposed to my friend? So a lot of that could be genetics. Are you even like predisposed to gaining weight. It also just depends how your body reacts to those hormones because everybody's going to react to them differently. Um, Okay. Yeah. Great. But no, I definitely understand the concern. It's hard if you don't know what your body is going to do. And so it's kind of a trial and error method. It can also kind of change what your cramps and periods are like. So it can be either make it a lot easier on you. You can have better cramps or less cramps. I guess there's no such thing as like better cramps. Wait, you mean like during the birth control or after? When you're on birth control, it can make your cramping less severe. Um, it can also cause spotting in between your periods or heavier periods, or it can make your periods less heavy. And so, like I said, it just very much depends on your body. And it's hard to know before you actually start it, which is definitely concerning. I get that. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, definitely consult your physician for more specific information about how your 
genetics and Mm -hmm. your predispositions may cause specific side effects to you. Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. So let's talk about some other forms like pulling out, for example. Give us a science (laughs) behind that. So a lot of people depend on pulling out and it does depend so much. The failure rate depends so much on if you're doing it correctly or not, because believe it or not, there is a way to do it correctly and you can look this stuff up. And you also have to trust your partner to actually pull out at the height of their pleasure. And that's a hard thing, especially if this is somebody who you may not know very well um, or you haven't had a lot of talks about this kind of stuff before. So if you're kind of doing everything perfect, it can have a 4% failure rate up to a 22% failure rate. So that's like one in five of every woman who's using that as their birth control method getting pregnant. So that's pretty high. So do you actually know how to properly do that? Basically, it just means that they have to pull out right before their orgasm or before their body starts reacting to that pleasure that they're receiving. Yeah. And I've heard about like pre-cum, for example, like that's a dangerous potential. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that 4% even with perfect comes from is there's always those crazy stories of like, how did this happen? But it can happen. And while it's not super likely that you're like pre-cum would carry active sperm that would reach there. It does happen. So Okay. And then last couple of methods here. Seriously, I feel like so many people do not know like the variety about, you know, just like sexual health and all of these things. So yeah, please keep going. Yes, there's lots of options. I know it can get kind of overwhelming. <laughs> the last behavioral one, it would be fertility awareness-based method. And that is just tracking when you're fertile. And you can, there's tons of apps to use for that now. And then there's tons of ways you can check with your own body on on that to know when you're ovulating and avoid having sex on those days. Um, and this has a 2 to 23% failure rate because sometimes it's hard to know when you're ovulating and it takes an adjustment period because you have to wait a month to kind of figure out what your cycle is looking like. This is definitely very common for people who do not believe in using birth control if for religious reasons. Um, and so that's where you most commonly see this method. Interesting. So do you use an app for that? I don't. I do track my periods on um, my Apple Health, which just comes with your iPhone. Sometimes I my birth control packets are like not an exact month. So that way I know what's going on. It is kind of interesting because I'll be like, hmm, like I'm feeling a little weird in some ways this day. And I'll realize like, oh, I'm ovulating. And so that makes sense. Or, oh, I'm about to start my period. So no wonder I'm feeling really snacky. Yeah, that's an interesting thing too. So like before you start your period and during like PMSing, all of that, for women that feel almost apologetic about having those symptoms, can you tell us more the science behind like why you get emotional before or during? Our hormones literally just control everything in our body, whether it's, you know, insulin is a hormone that controls how we digest our certain foods and stuff like that. But our estrogen and progestin, they do the same thing. So when they fluctuate, we get emotional because it just it impacts what's going on in your brain and what's being produced in your body and all of this. And so I think the best thing possible is just to be aware of whenever you're feeling like that. So you can tell your partner or like if you're living with your parents still, because it's like, I wish I was more aware of this when I did, because I would have probably been more apologetic whenever I wasn't being the nicest. But that way you just know. And so you can be like, okay, I need to check myself. Like, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation because I know my hormones are going crazy and I'm not crazy, but I feel like it right now. (laughs) I love that. I feel like that's very comforting to like a lot of people out there. Let's talk about the importance of annuals because Mm -hmm. again, I got my first pap smear (laughs) and it's very interesting what 
these kinds of annuals are important for and why you should do them and not take them lightly. Yeah. So I know it can definitely be nerve wracking at first. And especially if you don't know what's going to happen, they're important to get them every year just because it, they're just making sure that everything's right with your body as far as your reproductive system and, and all of that goes. So they're going to check for lumps in your breast, which is good. So that way, because not all of us are the best at checking all the time. And I know I'm certainly not. I don't give myself exams, even though I should. Um, so they'll check and make sure that nothing is filling off there. And then they'll also do the pap smear itself. And that will help check for cervical cancer, which actually used to be the leading cause of cancer death in women. But it has gone down with the HPV vaccine and with pap smears because they're looking for irregular cells so they can do something about it sooner instead of later. That's awesome. So how often should you get the pap smear done? So I'm not sure if it would vary per condition. I'm sure if you have um, gotten a negative diagnosis, then your doctor's going to want to see you more and they'll talk to you about that then. But just for your normal, healthy adult, you're going to want to go in once a year. If at any point they're telling you, once you get a little bit older past your reproductive ages, that's going to go down. But um, whenever you're kind of in your 20s and uh, 30s, you're going to want to go each year and just make sure that you haven't developed any irregular or cancerous cells in your cervix and that um, your breast tissue is looking good. So yeah. I love it. And did you mean to say like positive diagnosis? Yes. So like a positive diagnosis, but negative for you, I guess is what I meant. Sorry. Okay. That sounds great. Tell us more about like the HPV vaccine. Yes. So it's um, something I would definitely recommend getting. A lot of people aren't aware that they didn't get it when they were younger. And a lot of people aren't aware of how contagious it is. Basically, every sexually active adult in the United States does have HPV, which is kind of a scary statistic. But most of the HPV strains aren't cancerous, although some can be. And it can cause not just um, cervical cancer, but even throat cancer. So it's just important to know that that is very common and to protect yourself. So if you haven't gotten an HPV vaccine, they're not terrible. Just go in and get it because it's definitely worth protecting yourself. And we're seeing much less rates of cervical cancer because of people going in and taking care of themselves. I love that. And where can you get your HPV vaccine? Like, is that covered by insurance? Yeah, I believe it is. It's been a bit since I've got mine. Um, so you can get it at your university health center or just with your primary care doctor. That's where I got one of my doses is I just went in for my annual visit with her and was able to get my HPV vaccine there. And what do you do when you're just having really bad cramps, but you're not sure like if it's just bad cramps or something worse? So if you have like recently changed birth control or something, it might be something to expect a little bit of. But if you're having really bad cramps to the point of you not being able to function, just talk to a doctor because you definitely want to make sure it's not something more serious or something like endometriosis. And then if you're ever bleeding excessively more than seven days or very constantly or lots of clots, that can be um, something that you need to go to the doctor for as well. I actually had a family member who had to have their uterus removed because not only does it cause anemia, um, but she had benign tumors. And so she had to have a full hysterectomy. But it can be really dangerous if you don't go in and talk to your doctor if you're seeing concerning signs about that. And it's always better just to be cautious. They'd rather, you know, talk you down from some anxiety than you end up being really sick. So I love that. And is there anything else you think we should know just about women's health in general before we get into endearing awkwardness, our last segment today? I would say make sure that you're getting STD tested. I know it's not a comfortable thing to discuss and we don't talk about it regularly, but 
whenever you go into your primary care doctor, you can ask them about where to go or even once again, your university health science center. Just take care of yourselves. I know we don't do a great job about talking about women's health or reproductive health, but it's always better to be safe than sorry and um, take any precautions that you can. Okay, guys, we're going to go into endearing awkwardness. This is a very relevant story for this topic. And I just told Tori about it. But last week, I went in for my first women's health annual slash examination and thankfully was covered by insurance. So Emma and I were booking around the same time. I called them and was like, what does this entail? And they were basically like, oh, girl, we're just going to check everything out. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. (laughs) So I go in fully expecting just a breast examination. I don't know why, guys. I didn't realize that a pap smear was also a vaginal examination and I was not prepared. And so basically when she was like stripped down, I was like, "Um, you mean just my upper half, right? Like I could keep my pants on. (laughs) And she was like, no, honey. I mean, everything. Like, you could keep her socks on if you want, but that's it. And I was like, oh. And that's when it oh. hit me. And I, yeah, basically went in and, you know, got it done and stuff. And it was great. And I got my results and negative, you know. But <laughs> I will say it was just like such a funny thing that I fully went in, not realizing that I was going to strip down in front of my doctor. But again, it's a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. It's something you have to take care of for yourself as a woman. And I'm glad I did it. Yes. And it's so hard if you don't know what to expect. My first one was kind of a nightmare. I didn't go to an OB. I went to my primary care doctor and she's great. She's wonderful, but I'm not going back for that because it was so like ridiculous. I was so worried. Yeah. It's not a fun experience, but thankfully after listening to the episode, you'll be more educated and know what you're going in for when you do actually go (laughs) in. And I will say after mine, I ended up having like bleeding and like a lot of pain. And so I would suggest going to an OB just because they know what's up. And she told me she was like concerned about my cervix. And I literally thought I was going to like die of cancer for like a week. And I was fine. Everything was totally fine. But she just didn't know. And so um, if you have an OB, I would go. I honestly, it was a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. Um, I found a really good person here is only $20. So yeah, on my insurance. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, your turn for your story. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. (laughs) It's nothing too terrible. But like I said, I switched birth control back when um, Preston and I started dating. And you know, it's still like the honeymoon phase, you still want them to think you're totally normal and everything. And then so I went through like, two weeks where I was just really emotional. And I like remember calling my mom just crying in the car because I was like, I feel like I'm crazy. What is happening to my brain? And she was like, okay, this isn't great. And everything's settled out now. But there was just one day where he walks into the room and I'm on his closet floor just crying because I was, my hormones were going everywhere. And wait, (laughs) how long have y'all been dating then? It was only a few months. So like not long enough. (laughs) And so, but he handled it wonderfully. He just sat down and was like, all right, I'm ordering pizza. What do we want? And he like started ordering all the stuff that he knows I like from Domino's. So it did make it better. It worked. (laughs) A man, literally what a man. Like guys, if you're listening, take notes, Preston, you're the best. (laughs) But like it helped to know like he didn't think he understood where I was coming from. Cause I did, like I said earlier, it's good to talk to your partner about like, Hey, just so you know, like this change. So that way, you know, they know what's going on and they know to get you pizza if you're crying on their closet floor. <laughs> so That's amazing. Definitely take some tips, guys, from um, 
Preston. (laughs) And also I do think whenever you are going through those hormonal shifts or you're having a period that's really just strenuous mentally, physically, whatever, do not feel like a burden to your Mm -hmm. partner because they should be the one supporting you in this time, especially since in the future, if you do happen to have kids, like you are going to be the one thankfully because of those periods like you're going to be able to produce like healthy children so it is a gift in a way yes and it helps to know that literally half of the people on this planet are going through the same thing and so it's not something that should be taboo like but it should be more easy to talk about in all of this so just remember don't be too hard on yourself all the women I guess go through this and so and men definitely yeah be be sweet to your girl if she's having a rough time with all of this it can be hard on us I love that. This has been an absolutely fabulous episode. I'm so grateful we brought you on, Tori. Thank you. (laughs) Where can everyone support you on your Instagram, any socials you have, or even like a website that you would recommend for more information? Um, So for more information, I would definitely recommend the CDC. They actually have some really good information on there, which you kind of just expect, oh, it's going to be about infectious disease. No, they actually have great stuff about women's health and all these wonderful links that you can visit. And I actually found, um, while it's not like a government source or anything, that Planned Parenthood had some really good information. It matched everything I found from the FDA and CDC. So that's great. Um, If you just need a one website fits all kind of (laughs) answer there. Um, As far as socials go, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Tippy Toes. I post pictures of my dog. <laughs> He's really cute. <laughs> and Tippy Toes, uh, Tippy Toes, Tippy Toes. <laughs> yeah, Tippy underscore Toes. And Tippy is spelled T-E-P-E, not like T-I-P-P-I because I have a weird last name. <laughs> I love it, guys. Go follow Tori at T-E-P-E underscore Toes, T-O-E-S. And show her some love over there. But guys, we have an episode on Before We Make It every Thursday. Follow us at Before We Make It on Instagram. And if you'd like to join our Facebook group, which we just launched, go like our page, follow us, and DM us to be added to our exclusive conversation post episodes. But thank you so much for being here. We love you so much, Tori. Oh, I love you too, guys. (laughs) Bye, guys. Have a great day. Taboo. How do you say that word? (laughs) Taboo. There we go. Taboo.